Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Boy, it's nice to have people to preach to. I hope somebody says amen today. All right. Okay. You that are sitting way on the edges, if you want to come in a little bit, make it easier on you, it's up to you. Uh, we got seats we, uh, if you want to. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. This is a, a well-known passage that uh, we're going to preach on today, uh, but I think we can make it have some freshness for us today. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not my own self, for I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified. But he that judgeth me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before uh, the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. And then shall every man have praise of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray today that you'd make your word very special and precious. Lord, we thank you that we have the ability to meet and assemble around the word. And we they would pray that, Lord, as the word goes out, that it would touch our hearts. May you uh, fill up my heart with your spirit. And may you open the ears and the hearts of all those that hear. Father, it's a little bit distracting today in the fact that we're seated different. We've got masks and different things would you help us to be able to lay that aside and be able, Father, to focus on the message that you have for us today. Now do a good work in our midst. We love you, Lord, and we're here to have you honored, glorified, and for you to speak to our lives. In Jesus' precious name, and everybody said, amen. Very good. A story that most of us have known since we were little kids is a little boy putting his finger in the dike. Do you remember that story? Story, I went back and looked it up because I had, you know, it's only been like 60 years since I, since I read it. But uh, it's a story about a little boy that um, he was in school and after school he went out just walking and, and he saw one of the, we call it a dam, a dike, that holds back the sea from coming into the low levels of the Netherlands and Holland. And he saw that there was a, a leak sort of spread out like that and he thought he, he knew enough that if that thing kept spouting, it would just get bigger and bigger, and pretty soon that whole dam would bust open. And down below was the town he lived in. And believe it or not, the names of the town I looked it up was Harlem. That's sort of Harlem, Holland. And he thought, I need to go tell somebody, but he could see it getting bigger by the second, and so he stuck his finger in to hold it. And now he's got his finger in, and he's got a town down here, and the sun's going down, and it's getting dark, and it's getting cold. And that boy stayed there all night. He stayed there through the next morning, and the family began to search for him. Finally, they found him sometime the next day with his finger in the dike, and they said, what are you doing? And then they realized that literally that town would have probably, in the night, in their beds, been you know, a total disaster and a flood when that dike would break and he became a hero. And that little boy's name, most of us don't know it, but it's Hans Brinker. Hans, just a little, you know, I don't know how old he was, just a little school kid. But, you know, he had a characteristic. He saw something that he needed to do and he was faithful. 
And he didn't, he just, he had a bigger vision than himself and, and he, he saw what could happen if he didn't do his job. And so we look at the passage of scripture that we have this morning and I think that's a, that's a, that's a good setup. You know, I, I put down here, let's see if I can find it. Sometimes people ask you to do faithful things. About three or four years ago, one of the men in our church, their boy was getting uh, up to about 12, 13 years old, and they wanted to do something special. So they called a couple people, and they actually took us out to eat with that boy, and they gave us uh, a nice meal. I liked that part. And after the meal, they gave me 15 minutes with this young boy, and they said, Pastor, you tell that boy anything you want to tell him. Boy, here's my chance, okay? And uh, one of the things... I made a covenant with that young man. And I said, you know, I'm going to pray with you as long as I can remember. And I had, at that time, it was just after Christmas, and somebody had given me uh, a little envelope with two $2 bills in it. Isn't that a strange gift? That's sort of a neat gift with two $2 bills. And so I said, I'd like to give you one of those $2 bills. And I said, I'm going to keep the other $2 bill. And I'm going to write your name on that $2 bill. And I'm going to promise you, I'm going to pray for you. And I do. I pray for that young man every day. You know, I don't know if you're listening. If not, shame on you. Okay, all right. But you know, that's a promise I made. And you know, being faithful, little things, a finger in a dike, a $2 bill that you keep in your wallet, that you pray for somebody, or if it's a pastor of a church for 40 years, that's pretty much the other, that's the other end of the spectrum, isn't it? And everything in between. Sunday school teachers, bus routes, a good mama, a good father. Um, you know, bringing the, bringing the paycheck home on Friday. Not spending on a bunch of beer and stuff all the time or gambling it uh, away. Faithful. Reading our Bibles. You know, Christians, we've had more time in the last five weeks than we've had for a long time. Can we say amen to that? frustrating. What, what am I going to do with some of that? Have we been faithful to God? Have we had our devotions? Have we prayed? Have we memorized scripture? Have we, have we taken care of those things? God, if I had time, and God said, here's five weeks. And what did you do with those five weeks? Faithful. One of the things that's on my heart as a church, we need to be faithful. We have somebody at the back there. We need to have an usher on duty at the, at the lobby, please. Uh, so we're just sitting right in the lobby waiting for people to come in. But um, we need to be faithful in getting the gospel out. One of the things that's really sort of focused in my heart, we've been busy sort of surviving mentally and spiritually. Could we say amen to that, to sort of wrestling with this? And it's real easy when I'm focused like this to forget that focus of soul in and I'd like to challenge our church. It's, there's a lot of areas that we need to be faithful in. It's not just attendance. That's what we can sort of focus on today. It's faithful in, in witnessing, faithfulness in our Bible reading, faithfulness in, in soul winning, faithfulness in tithing. Faithfulness. You just, you just keep putting it in. So let's, on that basis, let's look at this passage about being a steward. Look, if you will, in verse 1, let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Now, Paul is talking about himself and Apollos, I think, in this particular case, and the application is clearly to us as well. 
But he said, let us be accounted as ministers of God. What is a minister? Often people say, oh, this is Richard Butts. He's a minister down at Westside, but I don't, I don't care for that term. I like to be called pastor, but, but uh, let's say he's a minister. What does that mean? That minister is somebody that helps other people. They're available. They, they take care of others. He said, I'm a minister of God, of Christ. When we get saved, our old life is dead, and now we're alive in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we become his hands, his eyes. We become his feet. We're ministers not to Christ. We're ministers of Christ. So when we start counting ourselves, Paul says, I count myself to be at his beck and call. And that's the beginning point of really understanding faithfulness is who we're being faithful to. I ask every once in a while of our church, have you dedicated your life to the Lord Jesus Christ? I remember when I was a young man going through, I got saved at seven and a little later on I struggled with some different things. And, but I can remember when I got a little bit older, a couple big times where I dedicated my life to the Lord. One of them was with my sister Jeannie. It's maybe about 12, 13 years old. And in our church, the pastor didn't always give much of an invitation. But that Sunday, he said, if you want to give your life to really serve the Lord, I want you to come down and kneel at the front and turn around that front pew there and just and pray. And I can remember my sister and I both got up and we both took hands and we dedicated our life to the Lord Jesus Christ. I meant it. I meant it. I can remember going to Bethany Baptist Camp in Chautauqua County, New York, and I can remember making decisions, and on Friday, taking my stick and throwing it in the fire and saying, I'm, I'm making this promise eternally to God. And you know what? I meant it. I wanted to be a minister of the Lord. I had no idea yet I was going to be a preacher. But I did know I wanted to be a minister. I wanted to serve the Lord. And so Paul says, I'm a minister of Christ. Second of all, he says, and I'm a steward of the mysteries of God. Now, in Paul's case, mysteries, God is revealing through Paul the apostle some doctrinal truths that had not been quite explained in the Old Testament, that Jew and Gentile both come to God through Christ. This was a mystery that was explained. And he said, you know, I am a steward of the mysteries. What are we stewards of? Well, I'd say if nothing else, we're stewards of the gospel. Do you know how many people, let's just put it, in Houston, Katie, do not know how to get to heaven the right way? They've been taught either nothing or they've been taught falseness. And God in his mercy, has brought the gospel to most of us fairly early. Could we say amen to that? We got saved early. And that mystery has been in our life, that gospel, that gospel understanding to us is as clear as could be. What is the gospel? That Jesus Christ is the son of God and he died in my place and he took my penalty death and God raised him from the dead and whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's not by works. It's not by church membership. It's not by baptism. It's not by being better than I used to be bad. We understand it's the finished work of Christ alone. And we all can say, amen. Boy, it's good to hear you say amen, all right? We are stewards. 
of the Word of God. Do you know how many people in the world don't understand the authority of this book in their life? And yet, we have clearly understood that. Could we shake our heads at least? Okay. We understand the importance and the strength of the gospel and the authority of the Word of God to form and, and know God's will in our life. And I'm a steward of that to the next generation, to this generation, and so are you. Daddies, I'm always talking to dads. Dads, you're a steward of that in your home. Could you imagine the most important thing that you'll have to give an answer to one day, dad and mom, is the stewardship of your children, that they came to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, and they understood the authority of this book and the importance of a local church, and we could go on with all that. So Paul says, I'm a steward. And what is a steward? A steward is somebody that's been given a trust to watch over something. And notice what it says, please, then. Uh, Paul, as the steward, says in verse 2, moreover, it is required. There are certain requirements that you have for a job. And it says, in any steward, not just spiritually, you expect certain things. When uh, we hire Christian school teachers, we have a list of questions. We have an application. When I hire a youth pastor, the application gets like nine pages longer. An assistant pastor, 10, 15 pages of things. I want to know their doctrine. I want to know their character. And we, we, where there are certain things. And, you know, somebody comes through and they say, you know, I believe you pray to Mary to get saved. Um, they, they didn't meet the requirement. Amen? Okay. There are certain things required in a steward that they be certain things. And so Paul says, moreover, it is required in stewards that, first of all, he be found faithful. You can't have somebody that's a steward that's mostly faithful over the money. So you have somebody who's the treasurer and he only steals once a month. You can't have that. You have somebody over here working the cash register, and they only take $1 bills, but they leave all the 10s and 20s okay. I mean, you can't have it part way. They've got to be faithful over the whole cash register, over all the days. It's required in a steward that a man, and does that mean women too, be found faithful? And that idea that they be found, do you know one day, we're going to have to stand before a judge. Sometimes people are audited at work. Performance reviews, unexpected. Uh, I remember one time there was a person in our church that uh, signed up to be what they call a mystery shopper. You ever, ever seen a mystery shopper? They go, they're hired to go into a store and they, they just interact and buy stuff to see how the store is doing. And then they give a report. The salesman was good. The cash register was good. The, everything. Or they say, they are a bunch of losers. One time I went home to New York. I took a bus. Uh, can you imagine a, 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 a Greyhound bus all the way to New York from here? I was riding on the way back, and I noticed that as we're going down, the bus wasn't very full, maybe about 10, 15 people. And I noticed this one guy was sitting about three seats behind the bus driver. 
and he was just busy working on his computer and writing different things. And, you know, I'm a kind of person, I want to witness to people and talk. So I sort of struck up a conversation and I said, what you doing? He said, well, I'll, t I'll tell you if you don't tell anybody. And he said, I'm here evaluating that driver. And I just get on the bus at different places and I ride certain places and I see how that they keep the speed limit and if they, you know, how they talk to the cash passengers and you know, how they keep the bus neat and all the rest. And that bus driver is just driving along. I have no idea he's being evaluated. Moreover, it's required that a steward be found. Expected or unexpected. Seen or unseen. Faithful. You know, the Lord knows our life, doesn't he? And I thought much about it in the last five weeks. We've been sort of locked out of our regular patterns. But have we been faithful? We don't have to be sitting in an auditorium to be faithful. Can we say amen? Okay. It's not required that I have to sit in church to be faithful. But have I been faithful? Is a very, very, very important thing. It's required that a man be found faithful. When you don't have faithful people, they can be treacherous. Can I use an illustration I think we can all understand right now? About three and a half years ago, President Trump was elected into office. And in the first two months of his presidency, there were a lot of holdovers from another administration. And several of those people, it's been very obvious, I don't think you have to be on either side of the aisle to know this, they had an agenda to try to make his life miserable. And do you know, at first, I really think they knew that he had, the government had to function, he couldn't just fire them all. But over the last three and a half years, have you watched him clean in house? Boy, every time he cleans house, I see, the, I see the liberals and people on the other side. They don't like him cleaning house. But you know what? What kind, of, what kind of president would he be to leave people in that are trying to knife him in the back? You see, he requires, whether you agree, I don't care if you agree. You could take this President Obama. I don't care who you, you can't have people under you that are not faithful. They have to have your back. And that's what the Lord's looking for in us. We don't always have to understand. We don't always have to agree with God. But when God speaks, it's settled for us as Christians. So he says, it's required in a man that he be found faithful. Look at verse 3. But with me, I want you to see who it matters with. What, what difference does this make? Verse 3, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you. Well, that's sort of a, some like he doesn't care about the people. No, he says, it doesn't matter what you think. I'll get ahead. Who is it that matters? The Lord. And he says, you may not like that I'm following the Lord. So let's put it in our shoes. Does it really matter what our family thinks? Our neighbor thinks? Does it matter what the public thinks? Does it matter what your pastor even quite thinks? Doesn't matter what you think. And then he goes, he broadens a little bit more. It's a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. So the you would be those that are maybe under his church, but the, it doesn't matter what the public thinks. Man's judgment. Then he says this, yea, 
I judge not my own self. It doesn't matter what I think. So one day when I get judged, think about this way. I stand before the Lord and say, well, Lord, I know you said, but I thought. It doesn't matter what you thought. If the Lord spoke, that settled it. Can I hear an amen? It's required in a steward that we follow the Lord. And Christians, I want to park on this a little bit. There is a sense all the way through Christianity when people say, I know it says in the Bible, but you better be careful that kind of thinking. When the Bible speaks for a Christian, we're required. That's what our Lord says. So it doesn't matter what the other church member thinks, what society thinks. It doesn't even matter how I think. In my opinion, I need to shape my opinion to God's will. Look, if you will, in verse 4, for I know nothing by myself. In other words, I'm not an island. It's not about me. That is the opposite of everything you hear in society today. Follow your heart. That is wrong thinking. Follow God. Or I know nothing by myself. How do we know? We know through the Holy Spirit and through the Word of God. Go on. Yet am I not hereby justified. Now, that little phrase, he he says, I can't justify myself is what he's saying. God, I was in a circumstance, so I had to disobey you. Can you hear a martyr? of the Lord saying, Lord, they were going to burn me at the stake, so I just went ahead and took the tattoo on my forehead. I can't justify myself. I'm God's. That's pretty strong preaching, isn't it? And if the world, tuning in, hearing this, they'd say, they're a little fanatical down there. Well, we're committed to Christ. We're not committed to Westside Baptist, pastor, but we're committed to Christ. Look on, please, if you will. He says in verse 4, For I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified, but he that judgeth me, and here it is right clear, is the Lord. And can I say, Christians, one day you and I, in all the truth, our lives are going to be laid out before the Lord. Do you know what a facade is? That's that's a French word that sort of made its way over into, into our English language. A facade is a fake front on a building. When we were building this building over here, we actually were thinking to later on maybe put a facade fake brick around the outside And actually, there was a mistake in the way it was built. We can't do that. Uh, They were supposed to leave a little cement line so we could do that. But it would, you know, you could put a fake brick on the front of it. It'd still be a metal building. I don't care how much you wanted to make it look like it was brick. It would still be a facade. The point I'm trying to make is Christians are good at putting up facades. Jesus had a bunch of them in his time. He called them whited sepulchers. White and beautiful on the outside, but what was inside? Dead men's bones. Stinking old dead. Sort of like Jeff. 
Well, I'll be sort of honest. In the book of Revelation, it says if we could see ourselves, we're probably really to see. We'd see that we're naked and blind and destitute. I wonder if we were, listen, this is a faithful crowd. I'm preaching this wrong, maybe the wrong crowd. But if we could see our lives as the Lord is going to reveal them some days, I wonder how many of us would say, oh, no, pastor, not today. For I know nothing of myself, but he that judgeth of the Lord, therefore judge nothing before the time. You know, as Christians, we may have an opinion of somebody. One of the things that sort of frightens me is when somebody says to me something like this, Pastor, you're my hero. You've, you're like, you know what? You don't really know Pastor Buds. Do you think I struggle? Do you think I have, I have my, my battles in my heart? Do you? Yeah. That's, that's being honest. And so here we say, oh, I worship this man. He, he's the greatest thing in the world. The Lord says, don't judge ahead of time. Because you don't have all the facts yet. You find out there's another whole part of that person. The part that comes out when they're not around people, when they're away from, from town and they're another thing. And we could go on story after story of people that had two lives. When I was in neighborhood Bible time, I, my second year I stayed in Georgia with this beautiful house. They had an Olympic-sized pool. This lady owned two or three businesses. One of them was a, a vitamin store and health spa. And you, I mean, she had everything in that house. My partner was an athlete. Man, he worked out in all their stuff. And I I mean, it was, he swam every night afterwards, got up in the morning and swam. I mean, he just thought it would be nice, wouldn't it, to have a house like that. Uh, man, it was great. But this lady, she said, all this was built by my husband. And he was a deacon in our church. And one day he went on a sales trip and didn't come home. And we looked and we looked and nobody could find him. She said, we hired a detective finally because we just didn't hear a word. And here we're down in Georgia. They found him up in New York State. And he'd had another wife all this time. We're talking about a deacon. There was a false wall on the side of the house that you could push. It was really sort of neat. Paneling, you push it in the wall. You, know, you open up. And there was like a 10-foot other room and on one side of that room, it was all, it was back a long time ago, reel-to-reel -reel recordings of all the Bible conferences of Bob Jones University, of Dr. John R. Rice, of Dr. Bob Jones Sr., a U.S. name, and my partner, man, we, we, he wanted to go swimming and listen, get him to go to Bible. He had everything, but he was two people. And the truth be known, that's probably truer of more people in a church than we'd like to care to admit. It's required in a man that we be found faithful. And he says, therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. Boy, there's a lot to preach in that one. First of all, the Lord's going to come back, isn't he? For us, we believe the next thing for us is the rapture. Either I'm going to go up through the undertaker or I'm going to go through the, the Lord's going to take me up one way or the other, but one day I'm going to end up standing before the judge. 
And there's going to be a standing. And I'm going to go to a judgment. And Jesus is going to sit in that judgment. And in this passage of scripture, it says very clearly that he will bring to light everything. Everything. You know, I hate to just keep referencing politics, but isn't it interesting when they do all these different political witch hunts that you find out three years later there was a file somewhere and it finally comes to light. I don't care what the situation is. How could they keep that thing? Man, if I'd have known that, I was backing that idiot. You know, man, and there's a, and it comes to light. God's going to bring my file to light and your file to light. And here, everybody thinks that you're such a wonderful Christian. And God says everything's going to come to light. And he goes on, it says, he'll bring the hidden things of darkness. One of the things in our society that uh, really, as we get to the end of the age, isn't it amazing that now darkness is a good thing? You always brag about how dark. One of the things in our academy, uh, I, it may not be the biggest thing in the world, but I don't let the kids just come wearing all black and gothic. Nothing wrong with black. If you got a black suit on today, I'm not preaching against you. I wear black suits. But darkness is the opposite side of Christ. I think Christians ought to be children of the light. And so I tell, if you wear black pants, make sure you wear something different. If you got a black shirt, wear, wear white pants. Don't, don't just come black all the time. The hidden thing, the blackness, the darkness in our own heart, though, it's not the outward I'm really worried about. Can I just get really strong with us today? Are there some hidden things of darkness in your life? We all struggle. If we didn't, the Bible, 1 John 1, wouldn't be true. If a man says he doesn't sin, he's a, he's a liar and the truth is not in him. The Lord says he's looking for faithful stewards. I've been preaching through the book of Judges, and God can't bless Israel because of sin, so he brings in things in their lives until they finally cry out in repentance and they turn from Baal or they turn from that darkness in their life. And when they finally turn from the darkness to the light, then God brings relief. Christians, God wants us to turn to him. And it may be in our lives that there's some darkness that we have allowed I think one of the darkest shadows across America has to do with the internet. And the most wicked part of the internet is viewing things and the devil says, you didn't actually do it, so you're not guilty. Jesus said, if you've looked on a woman to lust, you've committed fornication. Christians, we need to be honest with ourselves. So he says, don't judge out ahead of time because God's going to come and shine the light right on your life and on my life. And he's going to bring out the things from the shadows and put them right up here, as it were, shouting it from the rooftops. And he will make manifest the counsels of the heart. Boy, the counsels of the heart speaks about attitudes. Things that are whispered. Things that maybe even never come out where anybody else can hear it. But I'm thinking it in my mind. And I tell you, that's where it starts. Dr. Bob Sr. said, every wicked action starts as a thought somewhere in our life. 
but we allow it to keep going until it wears a path into our brain. We keep thinking the same counsels in our mind. Listen, you be careful what you think about others and about you think about this thing and that thing. Be careful the counsels in your heart. Be careful of vengeance and bitterness and anger. As a pastor over the last 40-some years, this is probably the area the counsel of people's hearts getting even. I didn't get asked to be in that group, and I'm mad. Somebody said to me, and I'll show them. Teenagers are a little more honest. They don't hold a counsel of heart. They just wait till they get to the other in the court, and they follow them twice as hard. But we get more adultish. We try to sneak it in, and it's sitting there in our heart. And we even come to church, and we go to shake somebody. Well, I guess we don't shake hands anymore. We go to bump fists, but we don't really mean it. It's not real. The counsels of the heart. Christians, we've got to daily cleanse our hearts before God. Go on, he says, and these things, brethren, I have in a figure. This is a, he said, I'm using all of this as a figure, as sort of a template, and transfer them to myself and to Apollos. He's saying, I'm not preaching at you alone. I'm talking about me as the apostles of Apollos and Paul. We're not any better than you are. That ye might learn in us not to think of men, look at this, more highly than you ought to think. Don't think about, listen, get your eyes off individuals and get them on Jesus. I promise you, if you have your eyes on a human being, sooner or later, you're going to be disappointed. You will be disappointed. He says, let's not think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up. What is this idea of puffed up? You walk over here and you say, you know what? Look at their attitudes, but look at me. I'm a self-righteous Pharisee. Aren't I something? And I could, I could judge you, and 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 I could, look at me. I'm judging everybody. I'm puffed up better than everybody. He says, I transfer that to me and Apollos. I am not, not trying to puff myself up by saying this. He said, I am a human being too. Dr. Farley, uh, evangelist we had years ago, used to say it this way, I'm a man just like anybody else. I have to put my trousers on one pant leg at a time. Here he is an evangelist. We'd had him through three or four times. We loved to hear him preach. God worked every time he came. But he said, don't you get thinking I'm something. And Christians... You be careful about letting your eyes get put on other people in the church and lose disappointment. I'll tell you a personal testimony. When I was a teenager, there was a point where I saw hypocrites in the church when I was about 7th or 8th grade. And I, that moment, stopped coming to church for an entire year because I had my eyes. I could tell you this story, but I got my eyes on that individual Somewhere at the end of my eighth grade, just before ninth grade, I have no idea because I wasn't going to church and I didn't go to camp that summer. God put into my mind very clearly, you are looking at hypocrites and letting them keep me from you. You need to get your eyes back up on me and be the true person that people should see. 
And I went back into church and I took my eyes off that individual, particularly that disappointed me. Do you know in churches we get disappointed in each other sometimes? I'm afraid probably you've gotten disappointed in me along the way somewhere. Maybe you get disappointed in Pastor Stephen. Maybe you get disappointed in one of the deacons. Maybe you get disappointed in one of your good friends in church. Maybe everybody else got invited and you didn't. And you got so puffed up that you said, I don't even know if I want to go to church anymore. That, the devil has a way of coming along. He says, go back and look at your own faithfulness. The truth is, we'll all be laid out before the Lord someday. My mom used to say it, every time that you point your finger at somebody, what happens? Three are pointing back right at you. Don't get so puffed up. So what do I do? I get in my face before God and say, God, clean me. Help. And that's exactly what I did as a teenager. It turned my heart around, and I got back, and before a few years, I was the president of our youth group down in Bible college, trying to be a preacher, and here I am today. I had a watershed moment where I took my eyes off individuals and put them back where they should have been the whole time on Christ. It's required in a man that he be found faithful. And it doesn't matter what everybody else thinks. It matters what the Lord thinks. And when I really got a hold of that, my life stabilized. My life stabilized. In the rest of this chapter, we just touch on a couple thoughts here. I want you to see in verse 8, Now ye are full, now ye are rich, Ye have reigned as kings without us, and I would to God ye did reign that we also might reign with you. He's being a little sarcastic. This is tongue-in-cheek. Here's Paul. He's going to explain in a few moments. How did this group get saved? Paul was beaten. He was thrown in jail. He hazarded his life. And now this church is established and these people are sitting in pews and the air conditioning's on and they got great trumpet players and everything's going great. And here's Paul, pussy-eyed and scarred up and he comes to visit and they go, oh, who's this old man? You think, he said, I'm glad that you, he said, I, I'm not jealous. But oh, you look at the outside and you forget the inside. Christians, when we get, when we even as a church get where we're, we're all about churchianity, we got a problem. And he says, you reign as kings. He said, I'm glad. But get your eyes back on what matters. And he says in verse 9, for I think that God hath set forth us, the apostles last, Hey, this is what Paul said it took for him. He said, I was last in line. How to, as it were, I was appointed to death, for we are made a spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men. He said, our lives, have, we, we, we've been at the bottom of the barrel and, and people have called us fools and, and we've been made a spectacle and we've been thrown in prison. We've been hauled before kings as criminals. All for you. All for you. And that's a Sunday school teacher that's given up every Saturday to go out visiting and through the rain and the sun and the heat and the cold. And, and, and then here's a Sunday school teacher, that, um, a kid that grows up and looks back and says, I don't know why they let her teach anymore. 
He said, how, how, you've lost your mind, your spiritual goal. Look at verse 10. We are fools for Christ's sake. Oh, I circled that big years ago. Paul wasn't saying it's good to be foolish, but the world doesn't understand a spiritual walk. If you're waiting for the approval of individuals, it won't come, and what little comes won't stay. But we, ye, we're fools, but you are wise. Do you see, do you see the tongue in cheek? We're fools, but you're, you're so smart. We, we are weak, but oh, you're so strong. We, you're honorable, but we're despised. He said, you got your eyes mixed up here. Christians, who are our heroes? Our heroes ought to be the people that lay their lives down for the gospel. People that are out soul winning, people that are faithful in giving their lives for others to grow. It's not the ones that drive in the cars and the Cadillacs. And, you know, a long time ago, we've had a few families over the years that have some big dollars. And it always amazes me when people come into a church and they're generous with their big dollars, but don't have a spiritual life to back it, how people will gravitate to the big dollars in spite of the unspiritualness and lift these people up. We've got to be careful how we judge people. Because one day, God's going to lay it all out there. Look on him. He says in verse 11 through 13, he says, even we were were hungry and we thirst and we've been buffeted and we've labored working with our hands. We've been reviled and, and we bless and yet we're persecuted and we suffer. Verse 13, we're defamed. And he goes on, he says, we became the, the filth of the earth. Well, that's not a nice position to be in, is it? Nobody's appreciating anything he's done. He says, we're the offscouring of all things unto this day. What's offscouring? That's you, you, you scrubbed and scrubbed and scrubbed, and this dirty munch of scum comes, and you wash the scum off. He said, that's how people look at us. And now he's going to go on. Listen, but I'm the one that led you to Christ. I'm the one that taught you the Bible. I'm the one that showed you the doctrine of the Bible from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and now you're too good to come and even think I'm anything. And he goes on and he says this, you only have a few fathers in your life. And he's not talking about my dad doing butts. He's talking about a spiritual father. And you know, Christians, God uses somebody in your life and they may not be the prettiest or the most, they may not have all the, the wonderful harangue, but a Christian that learns to see here was a faithful man or a woman that led me to Christ and they've had a ministry in my life and appreciate them to the day they die. I can tell you from many different people I've known and I can tell you from my own ministry, people that you've led to Christ and you and then they get their eyes on, my dad used to call them the biggity bigs. They get a case of the biggity bigs and they forget where they came from. Paul said, how did that happen? He says in verse 17, that's why I sent Timothy to you. This is Corinth. Paul can't come. 
But he says, I'm sending Timothy to you so that he can exhort you and remind you. Exhort you means sort of you know, prick at you a little bit. And remind you is to say, hey, who grounded you? And then he says an amazing thing in this passage of Scripture. Look at verse 16. Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. Now, it almost sounds like that's the opposite of what you would hear in this passage. Keep your eyes on Christ. Keep, he says, listen, don't get so big that you forget where you belong spiritually. I've watched sometimes people get where they get saved in something like a small independent Baptist church, but then they want all the biggity big stuff of a big church. Be careful. Be careful. The last thing he says is in verse 18 and following. Now some are puffed up. He goes back to that. And I would not that I would not come. So some of you got this real attitude that's built in your heart. The Lord knows. But in verse 19 and 20, he said, it's not about the puff. If you read it, it's about the power. Let's read that. But I will come to you shortly, if the Lord will, and will know not the speech of them which are puffed up, but I'll know understood what? The power. Look at verse 20. For the kingdom of God is not in words, but it's in what? Power. Christians, the bottom line isn't how pretty something is. It's in the power of God that rests upon an individual. And I would challenge you this, this morning as we, we come as a church, it's, it's not about numbers, it's not about prettiness, it's not about bigness, it's not about people, it's not about a personality cult, it's about keeping our eyes on the Lord and having the power of God on a real life that matters. So I would ask this crowd that's sitting here, and I would ask you at home that are listening on the internet, if Jesus came right now and all things were hidden were brought to life where would you stand I know as I was preparing this message I'm not perfect I don't pretend to get up here and tell you that there's not a line in my life that I, I mean, I'm just perfect I struggle just like you but I know where my heart wants to be and I know that I have been given a stewardship of the Lord. And it's required in Richard Butts, you put your name, that a man be found faithful. Are you faithful? Are you real? The worst kind of a con uh, counterfeit is the one that's almost real. They blend in. May God make us real. Let's bow our heads, please. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us as we would examine this chapter in our lives. Lord, we thank you for the men, women, the ministries that led us to Christ. We thank you for those that were saved here. 
I pray, Father, that we'd be followers of that which is right and true and right doctrine, that we would be faithful in holding that which is correct and salvation and doctrine and separation and soul winning and service. And Lord, where we have not been faithful, may we be real before you even today. Lord, here in this auditorium and at home, if there are those that are just struggling with being real before you, may you bring to light in their heart right now that hidden thing that they try to gloss over. Would you remind them that you know and that you want them to come out of that darkness into the realness of the light and to be faithful and be the real deal. In Jesus' name, with our heads bowed and eyes closed, I ask in this auditorium and at home, but I ask in this auditorium, I wonder if there's somebody here and you say, Pastor, as you spoke this morning, there are some things in my life that the Lord knows I need to deal with. If I'm going to be found faithful, I've got some homework. I've got some heart work that needs to take, be taken care of. Pray for me. Is there someone like that? Amen. 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 God knows there's some things in my heart. I've thought things. I've participated in things. I've allowed things. Pray for me too. Is there somebody else? Lord, I pray that you would help us to be real before you. Lord, it's hard to be transparent in front of others, but Lord, we are, whether we want to be or not, we are naked before your eyes. Father, help us to be honest with you and help us to hunger to be real. Father, help us to, to love that which is right and healthy. Help us not to be pushed around by what people think but help us, Father, to be real to you. In Jesus' name.